0: On to what we're going to be uh, reading from God's Word today. We're in the middle of a series on money, and it feels like, wow, we're spending five weeks all about money. How can you possibly have enough to say? Um, We're not even going to touch half of what the Bible says uh, about money. We've talked about earning money. Uh, We've talked about spending money this week. Today, we're going to be talking about saving money. And so we've got another video for you guys just with kind of what is pop culture wisdom. What do they think about saving money? Go ahead and play that. What they're saving up for. Let's find out. What's your name? Maria. Do you have a job? I work at Walt well, Disney World. What's something you're saving up for? I'm definitely saving up so my dad and my mom never have to work again. And I also am saving up to travel a lot. How much you need to save up to start achieving these goals? Once I have 10K, I feel like I'll feel peace. But at least when I have that, I'll be like, okay, this is a good starting point. What would be your dream vacation? Oh my gosh. Probably Greece. I feel like Greece would be a really cool place to visit. I have a list. I have a list. Big goals. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's a YouTube short. <laughs> so it's supposed to be short. Uh, but what she, what she expresses, I think, is probably a common uh, feeling about saving money. What do you save for? Well, you save for family, you save for retirement, you save for peace, you save for travel, kind of for things that you want. Uh, the big question that, that he's asking is, what are you saving money for? Um, and that's, that's the question that I want us to ask as well. Uh, what is worth saving our money for? Uh, I think in general, I've been taught it's, it's a good practice to save. You know, and I I think I've kind of, probably growing up, it's like any money that you don't have to spend on yourself, don't, and save that for the future as like a blanket. That's just wise. That's just wise practice of living. Um, I think in general, saving is really good, and it's a wise move, uh, but God has other things he wants to say, or while we're in the practice of saving or forming a habit of saving money, uh, what are the things uh, that we can learn or allow God to speak into our lives. So we're going to start with a very famous passage. Um, I've got it up on the screen. It's just going to be, I think, three verses from Matthew chapter six. This is from Jesus's famous Sermon on the Mount. Oh, I got to find the green one. So it doesn't work if it's red. If it's green, it works. Yes. But it's kind of bright up here in their shadows. Jesus said this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think any sort of survey on what the Bible says about saving money has to at least make one stop at this verse. This is a, a very popular, common verse. Jesus isn't saying you shouldn't save up money, uh, he's comparing and contrasting earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. And the, the main point he's making, right, is that the earthly treasures are fickle. You know, things can get at them. You know, so don't, don't trust them. They're not trustworthy because thieves can break in, moth and rust can destroy, but it's the eternal treasures that are worth saving and worth holding on to. So what he is making, the point he's making is that money itself is temporary. It's, it, it, this, is, this is what we've been talking about for the past three weeks. Money uh, can't touch the eternal. It's only temporary. Money is good for things here in this earth, very bad for things that relate to life, uh, that relate to spiritual matters. Uh, It can't touch those things. Uh, The big question for us, though, you know, we read this passage. We say, yep, okay, don't don't trust in earthly things. Heavenly treasure, that's where moth and rust and vermin can't destroy Thieves can't break into steel. Make sure my heart's there. Okay, we're good. Uh, How do we know that we're, we're trusting in God. we eternal treasures, and not we're trusting in our earthly treasures. Because C- I think we would all say, yes, I trust God. I don't trust my money. Uh, like, like, we're aware of this. We, we know it. Uh, but what does that look like? Uh, for one, ask yourself, or one way to see is, is ask yourself, well, when am I worried about money? You know, is it, is it when I don't have enough, right? When, when bills are tight, when there's unexpected expenses right after Christmas, you know, or, or you get laid off. You know, is it some, some point in your life when uh, you're looking at your budget and you're like, oh, I don't know if I'll have it. Uh, and then w- when do you not worry about money? You know, on the flip side, is it, well, when you finally get the job, right? When you get the, the raise, when you uh, have enough that you don't have to worry about paying the bills. You can set up the automatic payment and you know it's just gonna go out. Uh, if the only time you're worried about money is when you don't have a lot, and then you're not worried when you have enough, is that not, does that not mean that you're, you're trusting in the amount of money you have saved up? If that's where your heart is going, right? That, uh, where it's leading. Maybe is the answer, but that's a question to ask yourself. Or what if you've practiced saving money and you have enough in the bank? Let's say you've got an emergency fund or you've got a retirement account or something that is so big that you really don't have to worry about anything. So you're never worried about money. How do you know that you're not just trusting in what you've saved up, but you're still trusting in God? That's the question. Here, here if something were to happen to you, uh, things happen to us in life, you know, like little bumps in the road, you know, hills and valleys, twists and turns, whatever you want to say, uh, what do you go to first in order to solve it? So let's say you, your car breaks down, you know, or you get laid off. Um, do you immediately begin planning on how to fix it? You know, uh, okay, if I take it in on Tuesday, then I can borrow, you know, the other car for Wednesday, and then if they can get it in, then I can grab it, and we'll be good for the weekend, you know, and you start making plans, or you're like, well, we've got enough saved up for about six months, and then I'll probably apply for these types of jobs, where I can always get the job at, at Home Depot or whatever, you know, but I'll, I'll apply for that maybe after four months of looking, and if I don't get, like, do you immediately go to your own plans, or do you immediately go to God, you know, and just pray, like, okay, Lord, here's a thing, help me through this, okay, now let's make a plan together, where we turn to first probably indicates what we trust the most. And I think there's a tendency, if you're anything like me, the more that I have or the more ability I have to take care of these little bumps and twists and turns in life, the the more easily I turn to myself first. Oh yeah, and then tack on God later. You know, and money will probably be necessary to fix a broken car right? You're going to have to use some sort of money to keep yourself going if you get laid off from your job and you've got to buy food or you've got to buy rent. Money doesn't have no purpose. It just has temporary purpose. I view it uh, like it, it, a lot of people hold on to savings like this, right? You have this big lump because you know that there's going to be bumps in the road and so you're going to use that lump to like smooth out those bumps, right? So you can like keep going, like it's like, like filling potholes. You know, it's springtime now and Potholes start popping up over the country. Now, look. Luckily, I think we live in an excellent place. Now, I don't know. There might be some pessimists out there, but the the quality of our roads are fantastic. Especially, look at like maybe back in Wisconsin where I'm from, um, or I've seen there's news articles in California. You know that talk about this just massive amount of flooding that they've gotten. All that water gets in there, starts cracks opening up. You know when if you have freezing and then uh, when it thaws out, you know, the freezing expands and then it, it melts and then there leaves cracks and potholes and all sorts of problems. But there's people that have taken it on themselves because there's so many potholes, the local governments can't get to them all. They're like, well, we'll just do it ourselves. And, and they fix them up. I was looking at one of the websites of these, uh, they call them like pothole vigilante groups, uh, is what they call themselves. Um, and, and just like the, the like FAQs I was like, well, this will be fascinating. You know, it's like, we get a lot of questions from time to time. Here's our best effort to answer them. Like, first one is like, is this legal? And they're like, well, it's a gray area, you know, (laughs) like the concrete we're filling, you know, Um, but they they say we're going to do it anyway. Um, uh, But one of the ones was like, well, what about the quality? Like, Like, what if you make it worse? You know, and they said, well, we use the same, you know, products that the city uses. We use the same uh, techniques that they use. So we try to match whatever would happen. We're just going to get it done earlier. You know, and, and local governments have this like love hate relationship with these groups. They're like, please let us do it. But it is kind of nice, that, you know, like that, that we don't have to do it in this way. You know, I mean, they don't want to get sued, you know, if, if something were to happen, you know, or lots of things. But in that FAQ, they said, us filling potholes is a temporary fix. We we recognize this is not going to fix the road. You know, you you fill a pothole, you drive over it, eventually it wears down again, and there's a pothole again. They said, ultimately, we need repaved roads. That's on the city. We're not gonna do that. That's, That's much more intensive, but that's what's going to actually make the road smooth. You know, this is just temporary so we don't bump, you know, our tires, you know, and we don't ruin our cars as we're driving to work. We don't swerve into oncoming traffic or something. That's what I view money's role in our life to be. It's a pothole filler. It's a temporary solution. Your car breaks down, that's a little bump in the road. Yeah, savings are good to fill that, but, but that, that's gonna be a temporary fill, right? If you get laid off, okay, yeah, money will help you get through this for, for, for now, But if your identity, if your life is wrapped up in the things that you have, your ability to get around, uh, your identity is in your job, you feel like your life is you contributing to society, well, you're going to need a new road because that one's going to get very bumpy. You know, if we're keeping on filling potholes, you're going to find out that money is actually a pretty bad permanent long-term solution for making your life smooth. Uh, the, The real life is life in Christ we've talked about. That's the paved road. That's the road that doesn't get potholes as easily, right? So you want to live a life to where when you're laid off and when, you, when your car breaks down, it's just a minor bump because you know that there's life going on far greater than what you have. And yes, money will fill it up and we'll keep going. But what we want is the life, the smooth path of living a life with Christ. Money can't do that. It just fills in the potholes. So it has, it has a purpose, uh, but not an eternal purpose, just a temporary purpose. So let's your savings, not be the thing that you're trusting in, the thing that says, I'll be okay, because look, we finally have enough in our account. No, no, no. You're going to be good because our God is good, and you're on his road. He'll take care of you. But save up money as a wise thing to do, but not as a trust thing. Only you know your heart, uh, but ask yourself those questions. The next passage that we're going to stop at is Luke chapter 12. It's verses 16 and 21. It's a parable. We talked last week about there being a parable that was perhaps a little confusing for us. I think this one is similar, um, not as confusing, uh, but there's also lots of questions after I read it. Uh, It'll be up on the screen, but feel free to open it up. Uh, This is a good one uh, to mark for this week and then kind of sit in here and ask questions of God. Uh, This is Jesus speaking. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. The end. I think that I think this is a an interesting passage, or at least to me, it's a little confusing because I can't tell from this parable what the guy did wrong. Like, look, he had a lot, built more barns, planned for retirement, and then God's like, "Ha ha, you're gonna die tonight," you know? And you're like, "Whoa, like, like, no, he he's not even a bad guy," you know? And it just feels like God is being extra harsh with him. Now. Again, this is me and this is me and, and what God's speaking to me as I'm preparing for this. But as I read through the parable, you know, last week and as I read through the parable this week, uh, the meaning doesn't jump out at me. I have to sit there. I have to kind of like, okay, God, what, what, what is this saying? I read through commentaries. What are other people saying about this? Help me understand what this means. Some parables, when I read them, I love them. And, and I get them, I understand them, I retell them. You know, like the prodigal son, a, a, a common one that's probably almost made it into like secular culture your vernacular. Like people know what the prodigal son is, where the son goes out, squanders wealth, comes back, and the father has just this immense love, welcomes him back, hugs him. They celebrate his coming back. And it's a picture of God's love for us. You know, no matter what we do, he will love us. He will take us back and welcome us in. Like I get that parable. I like that parable. I retell that parable. We tell it to each other the parables we're talking about these last two weeks, we don't retell. Like, these aren't the ones at the tip of our tongue. These aren't the ones that speak deeply to us. These are the ones that I think are a little bit, I guess, you know, like a little confusing, and and it's more easy to kind of like, let's set those aside and move on to something else. I just want to say this. Jesus spoke in parables because he knew they were going to be puzzling. You know, people, why why do you speak in parables? He says, they're for the people with ears to hear, you know, and, and he would critique the culture of his time with his parables. He was teaching for change. Now, he's not just repeating things that people wanted to hear. He was criticizing, right? He was correcting people, and, and only certain people were able to hear. He said the disciples were there, but even there, Jesus, tell us, what, what did this one mean? You know, like, I don't, I don't understand. But if, if these parables are difficult for us to understand, could it be that we're the target audience? We're the ones he's critiquing? right? Especially if, you know, these are a little, I don't know, Jesus. Could it be that perhaps we don't fully understand the message that he's trying to get across? Someone else, oh yeah, absolutely. What, what great parables. And we're like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That one. I'll, I'll go to these other ones over here. I just want that to be a possibility in our mind as we go through these parables, as we go through this sermon series. I said at the very beginning, more than just learning the bullet points or good skills of what to do with money, I want our hearts to be spoken to by God, Our money is very close to our hearts. That's what he said in that last passage, right? Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Let our conversation about money, our questions about money, let God speak to your heart. That's what we're going for through this series. You know, I had a pastor back in Wisconsin. That's where we moved from seven years ago uh, at the church that I met, Sherry. Uh, he said, uh, I remember in one sermon, you know, how they always say, you don't remember sermons because they just kind of all bleed together. Well, this was like one of the ones that I remembered or one of the one things he said. He said, he'd been a pastor for decades. I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years now. He's retired now. Um, but he said, you know, a lot of people had come up to him and asked for help, confessed different areas that they struggle with, you know, looking for advice. So they just say like, hey, pastor, I'm, I'm really, I'm struggling with addiction, you know, or I'm struggling with lust or I'm struggling with pride or anger or whatever it is. And he said, it's funny because he's never had anyone come up to him and say, I struggle with greed. And I thought, oh, that's, that is kind of interesting. Because if we did a survey here and we said, do people struggle with greed, yes or no? I think we'd be almost unanimous. We'd say, yeah, yeah, some people, that, that, that is a thing people struggle with, greed. And then if I said, do you struggle with greed? I think we'd be almost unanimous, no, right? I mean, like, check your heart. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but like, people struggle with greed for sure. I don't. I mean, I have, my, like, I have money, but I don't, I don't struggle with greed. You know, like, that's not, like, I don't trust in my money. I don't, and so I just think that that's odd, right? That we say, absolutely, that's a thing, that's a trap. People, some people really struggle with that, but I don't, right? And I think if you polled Christians, we would all say that, but I don't. I, d- I just don't. You know, it's not me. Again, you, you can tell me whether or not maybe you have a different understanding than I do, but I get convicted when I look at these scriptures, when I understand the text, it feels like Jesus' understanding of money, Jesus' teaching about money is very different than how I view my own money. And it almost feels like, well, maybe I'm just unable to recognize the greed in my own heart. And so I just have to confess, I'm gonna preach something today that I think maybe I struggle with and maybe you shouldn't follow what I do, because I'm not sure I have this one right. I, I want to give you permission to know that maybe these parables are going further than anyone in our culture does. Because for sure there's a cultural gap between Jesus, his disciples, and his audience, and Douglas County today. We just live in a completely different economic culture and structure. Not that any of it's wrong, but, but we're not going to pick up the things that he is trying to teach as easily, or we're not going to hear it the same way that they would. Um, I just want that to be in the back of our heads as we just think about money and think about Jesus' teaching and allow it to hurt us, to convict us. Um, back to the passage. All right, so you go through this guy. This is the part that I struggle with. This man seems like he's like an ideal, right? Yield, he, so the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He is blessed, right? Like it doesn't even say like he had clever ideas, right? Like it just, he had a lot. Wow, great. Thank you, God, right? And so what does he do? Normal, natural thing to me, right? He builds bigger barns to store it. This, this, is, this is what we do, right? I don't know if it's our culture, right? Capitalism, whatever it is. If we don't have enough space for our, uh, our business and it's, it's growing, we would make more space. For example, let's say 500 people start coming to our church. We would be like, wow, this can't hold us. We need bigger space. And then we would build a bigger church. Like this, this is normal to me. Nothing here seems off, right? And then, uh, so he builds his bigger barns, and then he says, I have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Um, So maybe there's a little bit of hedonism in there where he likes pleasure too much, but to me, this sounds like retirement. Like, is this not our goal where it's, let's make sure we have enough so that at some point I can say, ah, I don't have to work anymore. I can do the things that I want. I can just enjoy life. I don't have to be stressed. Like, to me, this is the kind of guy that, that I feel like we would invite to speak at conferences, right? Like leadership conferences. And we'd be like, hey, write a book, you know, about how you accomplish this because th- he's living the American dream, right? Like, like his business succeeded. He grew, he developed so much that he could retire by 40. Like if this guy's down the street from you and he's bragging about all these things, he'd be like, oh, I just wish I could be like him. Like I wish I had that life. That's what we see, right? When this guy comes, he, Maybe it's not in your heart, but this is definitely in our culture. This is hashtag goals, right? Like, can we be like this guy? And God says, you fool. Fool? I mean, he was smart. Like, you blessed him, God. You fool. I mean, don't let you fool pass you. This, that, that insult is reserved for the religious hypocrites and this guy. Jesus even said in his sermon on the mount, he said, don't say you fool or else you're in danger of fires of hell. This is a pointed direct insult. You fool. Okay. Again, if we, if you want to feel this more, really internalize your goals of retirement, right? Really, uh, you know, internalize your desires to be successful and to have bigger barns, you know, however you want to translate that into your own life. And then feel God saying, you fool, like if, like, if you if you were going to teach this at a Bible study or, like, at a community group, right, where you're like, all right, we'll each assign a parable. You have to share with the rest of us what it means. Uh, you get assigned this one. What would you teach, right? You read through it, and you kind of, okay, like, so you must have been greedy. You know, you probably, probably avoid any, like, tough conversations. You, you, you like that last, that last line is probably where we where we land on, right? Not rich toward God. We say, well, well, clearly this man wasn't rich toward God. So we just need to make sure if we're successful, we're giving some back to God because he needs to give some. So, you know, you show up to church the next day, you're writing a little check, put it in the box in the back and feel like, okay, at least God can't accuse me of not being rich toward him because I'm sharing some of what I have. I mean, you wouldn't be wrong if that's what you taught, but I think you'd be missing what he's saying. Like, why did he call me a fool? Why was it foolish for what he did not just selfish? Why, why is he, you know, th- this is the caricature of what not to do. You know, like this is, this is the idiot. Like he's not the protagonist, right? Like I, I read those first three or four verses. I'm like, all right, this, this guy's, w- this is winning, right? This is what we want. And God says, oh no, sorry, this, this was the idiot. This is the one that, that you're supposed to laugh at and ridicule. Why? Oh, that's a puzzle. Wrestle with it with God. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Was he foolish because he couldn't tell when he was going to die? That doesn't make sense. That that can't be it, right? Was he foolish because he was blessed? Because he got a lot? That he built barns? Was Was it the expansion? Was that what he was supposed to not do? Was it the fact that he wanted to enjoy the wealth that he had received? I don't think it's any of those things. I think the reason that God calls him a fool is because he has not understood that temporary nature of money. He has not valued his life correctly. He has overvalued his things. He has said, this is what I will do. My savings have earned me this life. God says, that's not life. You fool. You think that's life? Your very life will be demanded from you tonight. And then who will get your big pile that was for you? Yeah, it won't be you. (laughs) You know, it's like that classic, can't take it with you when you go. What we need to be careful of is if we're saving for things, if we're saving for ourselves, that's not worth it. That's foolish to say, let me just store up enough for me for later, which honestly sounds like 401k plan, <laughs> you know? And, and again, I, not to say that it's wrong, but how can we make sure that we're not going to be foolish by what we're saving for, for ourselves? Because this passage is saying he's a fool for wanting to save it up as if he was going to be the one to spend it. And got to wrestle with that. What I think we should do is if we're going to save any sort of amount of sum, we have to make sure that it's for a worthy purpose, not just for ourselves, or not just for just in case. Money is temporary and save for a worthy purpose. So go through before God every amount of money that you have saved or every amount that you're planning to save and say, this is what I am saving it for and can you stand before God and feel like this is a good, a good worthy purpose? Because I view it like this. Just like, um, you know, you can have 401k, like tax deferred retirement plans where you don't actually pay any tax. Like you receive money from your job, uh, but it goes straight to your retirement plan. So the government's like, okay, I didn't see it. You didn't get any money. But then when you, that's, that's, I like have to tell myself story with what I'm doing taxes. Otherwise, I get completely uh, bored. Uh, But then when you take it out, when when you withdraw from your funds, right, you get to retirement age, then the government's like, ah, you owe me tax on that. You know, like your responsibility to pay tax didn't ever leave, right? You just deferred it. You just put it into, you know, the decades, however long it's going to be until you start withdrawing it. I imagine uh, the same thing happens with our responsibility before God to use his money well. We can save that money, that's totally fine, but you've just deferred responsibility to use that money well. Just because you saved it doesn't mean you get to use whatever you wanted to save it on, whether it's retirement or travel or or peace or helping your parents buy a house, whatever thing it is, you still have to answer to him. And especially if it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, once it's massive, you have a massive responsibility before God and perhaps even more opportunities than you had when you were putting it in. But ask God, say, okay, God, how do you want me to use this? Let's say you're saving up for travel. Ask him, how can I travel in a way that pleases you, that honors you, that worships you? I don't know. It might look different for different people, but we have to be willing to ask, and then we have to be willing to let God redirect us. Yeah, maybe that car that we saved up for isn't what he wants to spend the money on. But are we following God, or are we following our own money and our own desires? I think this, to me, this one's one's hard for us. It's hard for me. To recognize, well, then what do I do? I am saving for my retirement. I am saving for my kid's college. You know, I am saving for travel. So like, is that okay? All I know is that the man, look, look, we want to find extra details in this parable that says, well, surely this guy's heart, well, he hated God. You know, I was like, well, that's not what Jesus said. Literally, the the fool part came after he was blessed. He built more barns and he planned to live off of them. You know, and eat, drink, and be merry. You fool. You're like, ah, rats. And I was hoping that he was also like, cursing God in his heart? You know, (laughs) like, can there be some out where I can still do those first three things and not be called a fool by God? Just sit with God on that one. Am I being foolish the amount of money that I'm storing up for myself for later? And how can I go forward? Uh, About 100 years ago, they discovered King Tut's tomb. It's like Tutankhamun, Tutankhamun. I don't know how to pronounce it. King Tut, it was mercifully shortened for uh, English speakers. Uh, He was a young king, a pharaoh, lived like 3,000 years ago. Um, His grave wasn't robbed. Uh, They said that other things had kind of like fallen in on top of it. There was some flooding. Um, Other graves have been robbed. But this was like the best preserved, like ancient Egyptian, you know, pharaoh tomb that got uncovered. This is like in the 1920s. Um, And what was shocking about it was the amount of wealth that was buried with him. You know, it's all in museums now where you have to pay tickets to go see, of course. You know, but there was so much gold, so much. And, and, and there's hints that like all the other tombs had like a, a common set. Like if you were a pharaoh and you died and, and you were buried, you would get all these things. And it's one of those things because we all kind of like smirk a little. You're like, silly. You can't take it with you when you're dead. You know, it's like, why would you be holding on so tightly to all your precious wealth, you know, when you're dead? Good thing we don't hold so tightly onto our wealth until we die, right? Like, like we do the same thing. You know, if, I ask my wife this, if you have a big life savings and then you die before you're able to use it, right? Like, 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 it's like this man in the parable, right? How would you want the person you passed it on to to use it? Like, what, what would you desire for them to use it for? And I don't know, like whatever they want. You know, it's like like I don't need it anymore, right? Like we, we get the fundamental concept that this has no value to me anymore. Well, but if you want them to just store it in a big pile over here and pass it down to their kids and pass it like a family heirloom, you know, eventually you pass down a family heirloom and gets to someone who doesn't value it the way that you do. What's its purpose? Were you just hoarding it, right? Like was it just for yourself? Was it just for your trust? Did it give you peace? like that lady said in the very beginning of the video. Is that what it's for? That's foolish. If that's all we're saving money for is just in case, just for us, that's foolish. So I don't, I don't know the exact way to go forward with this. I mean, we've got two other weeks. We're gonna talk about how do you actually use your money. Um, so if you're saving it up for yourself, that's foolish. How can you save it up perhaps for others or for God or for his purposes? We'll explore that next week. But this week, I want us to focus on that being rich toward God. What does that look like? There's a passage in First Timothy. It's at the end. Uh, we've already read a First Timothy uh, passage about money. Uh, then Paul skips. First uh, Timothy is a letter that Paul wrote to a young pastor called Timothy, and he's instructing him how to talk to the people within his church. He says this is First Timothy 6, 7, 17 through 18 command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Just want you to know, Paul doesn't see anything wrong with wealth. Paul doesn't see anything wrong with enjoying your wealth. In fact, that's the purpose that he said, that we received wealth. But he says, don't be arrogant, don't put your hope in wealth because it's so uncertain, very similar to what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. These are the three things that Paul says. Okay, you want to make sure that your heart isn't stored with your treasure, but your heart is in heaven. Do this. Do good. Make good choices. Be righteous. Act purely. Act morally, ethically. Be rich in good deeds. Love others. Do good things in the world. Actually act. Don't... Like he's saying, not just a hard issue, right? Not just check yourself and make sure that you're not, yep, good, I'm trusting in God, off we go. Not the little questions I was saying, ask yourselves, actually do these things. And then live generously, be willing to share. Don't hold on to tightly to your wealth because it's yours and you've saved it and, and you might need it someday, but open that hand and let it flow freely out. Uh, we're going to get to that in these next couple weeks. But this is what it looks like. These are the things that we can do, practices we can do in order to make sure that our heart is not being too closely lost into what we've saved up for ourselves. I just want to challenge this morning the, the assumption that all saving is good saving. That it's just any, any money you don't spend on yourself, save it because you never know what you'll need it for the future. I think we need to be more wise about how we save. And I think we need to allow God to be a part of our savings. I think savings are still good, but I think it's easy for our hearts to become attached. And then the last verse in 19. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is the goal. We do these practices even when we have wealth in order that our heart would not be present here with our earthly treasures, but would be present in heaven with God. Why? Because that's where true life is. We recognize that money is temporary. We don't trust in those things. We let our savings have a purpose. We're not just saving up for ourselves. We act generously. We do good. Why? Because we want that paved road. We want the real life. Money just lies and tells us it can give us the life that we want. It tells us you just need a little bit more money and you can have all these things. No, true life, true life, the life that is truly life is found in God and you'll demonstrate it by doing good and being generous. All right, let's pray. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me? Dear Lord, oh, continue to speak with us. Um, I confess I don't know if I fully understand what you're teaching about money and how we're supposed to unhitch our lives from it. I pray that you would continue working me and work others here. I pray that we would be bold, we'd be courageous. Um, I'd, much, I'd much rather for the world to call me foolish than you call me foolish, God. I believe that you have true life for us. And I do see, I do recognize that riches and wealth have a fake life. I don't want that, God. I pray that we could all know the true life that comes in you. And I pray we'd be willing to allow you to direct every aspect of our life, including our money. We want to know you. We want to know this true life, and we want to have our heart hidden with you in heaven. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. All right, we're going to take time to discuss. Uh, We've got 10 minutes uh, for today, so hopefully you can answer a couple of these. Um, Gather around the tables and then pick whichever ones you want to do. There's not a specific order. Uh, The first one is, what do you save money for? Uh, Just like the question in the video, number two, is how can you know you trust God and not your money? And then lastly, what types of money behaviors would God call foolish today? Uh, Have fun with them, and then I'll come back up in about 10 minutes, and then we'll dismiss.